Are you ready for some football? Telemundo is. We want to try and integrate more augmented reality elements and enhancements over the landscape, if you will, of this country and from lo- from iconic locations in this country. That's Eli Velasquez, the executive vice president of Telemundo Deportes, as that network prepares itself for their first broadcast of the World Cup. This is the Sport Techie Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. You'll hear about the cool new ways that Eli and his team are going to utilize augmented reality in presenting the matches from Russia later this summer. But first, it's the news of the merge of sports and technology. And you'll hear how they are dealing with esports in this Real Sports Showcase too. Mavericks owner and famous investor Mark Cuban feels like the sports wagering win in the Supreme Court is going to have a huge trickle-down effect on literally everything. He believes pro sports franchises are going to double in value now that relaxed wagering may behest more fan interest. And he says that betting on eSports leagues, including the NBA's 2K venture, could have huge financial ramifications as well. Concerns of integrity there, though, would seem to be more pointed at virtual gamers than real athletes themselves. Meantime, predicting behavior may be part of the betting equation for teams who consider drafting or signing players in the near future. You'll recall the draft day experience of the new Buffalo Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, who had to explain away some high school age tweets that had racial overtones to them. Of course, they were unearthed right at the most inopportune time. Arvish Analytics is now proposing methodology to analyze social media to help teams curate a personality profile and predict how athletes may behave off the field. Feels like a pro sports version of Big Brother. Over 10 million people watched the live-streamed Indian Premier League cricket final. The number bested the media platform Hotstar's previous high of over 8 million, and they were able to stream that match in six different languages as well. On-demand content, virtual experiences were also part of Hotstar's 2018 offerings, and it's a sign of how close we are to getting to the complete alteration of content distribution. And speaking of, there is a really interesting read on the pages of SportTechie.com that delves into the idea of long-term deals with unions or content providers and how that could put any league that signs one at a disadvantage as the technology surpasses capability and the language of those contracts. Everything from wearables to distribution ownership is covered there. Here's where that tech can help you and me right now. Sink a couple of more par putts. GolfScope is a newly released product that will use the camera in your phone to actually read the topography of a green that you are on. It can't help you with speed or touch, but no more crouching golfer hidden brakes for you, my friend. And this isn't confirmed, but we don't think, even in the thick golf rulebook, that it's cheating. But don't ask me. I'm just a hack. Eli Velasquez is not. He is in charge of everything you are about to see on Telemundo Deportes when the World Cup begins play, and he describes how his network is ready to put on the big show for the first time next. Sport Techie listeners, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Get the newsletter sent to your inbox by signing up at sporttechie.com. 
Follow us or me on Twitter, at SportTechie and at RealBramW. Our guest this week is Eli Velasquez, the Executive Vice President, Programming, Production, and Content of Telemundo Deportes, who, for the first time ever in their network's history, is about to broadcast the World Cup in Spanish. How are you, Eli? I'm doing fine, Bram. Yourself? Uh, very well. I, I imagine this is a daunting task, getting set to broadcast <laughs> the World Cup. So give me the general overview of, of getting ready to do this type of event. Yeah, um, you're, 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 you're absolutely correct. It's, um, it's, a, it's a real uh, uh, complex, um, behind-the-scenes uh, uh, process that we go through in order to execute and deliver uh, what we uh, suspect will be great coverage this coming summer for all of our audience. We started, um, frankly, when we got the rights back in 2011 and we found out we had them. It's when you first start to dream about it, right? And you start to think about, you know, how do you differentiate from what has been done before? How do you elevate the proposition for the consumers and the fans and the audience that you serve? Um, all of those uh, tidbits of thinking um, and ideas started to happen as early as 2011. And then we really got into the crux of our preparation in 2015 um, when we started our first FIFA uh, project with the Women's World Cup. And we started to immerse ourselves in how uh, to partner with them and their uh, service providers to start thinking about specifically what we would provide to our audience. So um, since 2015, we've had uh, uh, several meetings, of course, with our friends from NBC Sports, who are also, we're also part of the NBC Sports group. We had conducted the Rio Olympics together um, in 2016. And then in earnest, in uh, 16 and 17, we started attending broadcaster meetings with FIFA and with HBS, Host, Bro Host Broadcast Servicing, to start fine-tuning our planning and our preparation. And then um, it's about you know coalescing all of those thoughts into a, a plan strategically, um, working with the other areas of our broadcast network to figure out the support programming around uh, the matches and the coverage of the matches themselves, and then getting into the details of, of securing talent, securing, gra securing graphics packages, music, um, content, third-party associations to amplify our coverage editorially, and then um, putting all of that together um, once we get to the IBC, which um, the International Broadcast Center, where we will have all of our facilities, facilities for us to execute this event, and uh, our studios in Red Square, where folks will welcome us into their living rooms on a daily basis during the World Cup for the coverage. So very complex, um, literally when the cliche of it takes a village literally is true when it comes to putting on an event of this type. Um, what did you guys learn from specifically from the Olympics coverage that will help you streamline the coverage here of the World Cup? So look, I think um, the Olympics, in, 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 in association with how people are consuming content uh, today, are really the two main factors that helped inform our coverage plan. So what I mean by that is, you know, the Olympics is a, a broader event in regards to the number of sports that are involved. And we've always marveled at how NBC is able to drill down on Olympic coverage in such a way that every sport is covered in a meaningful way and where they surround the coverage of those sports with storytelling that is relatable to all audiences regardless of where you're from. So taking a page from, from that, um, you know, storytelling became uh, the crux of a lot of our focus as well because we know that within the 90 minutes on the pitch, if you're a fan of the sport and if you're a fan of your national team or, or whatever national team you're rooting for, you're going to be focused on that. 
But how do we compel those of you who are on the fence about consuming these games or, you know, watching Iceland play for those who don't know Iceland. How do you really compel viewers and, and, and provide them with that proposition? It's through developing the storylines and the editorial uh, narratives around those teams and those players to create um, uh, stories that people can connect with in a meaningful way. So that was one real big takeaway from Olympics that we were able to leverage um, from a narrative uh, perspective. Then on the consumption angle that I mentioned earlier, it was, okay, now with the power of choice that uh, viewers have today, we have to make sure that it's accessible content. And so that's part of the partnerships I mentioned earlier. It's making sure that we have as much coverage on all of our platforms across uh, linear and nonlinear channels. It's about um, creating content in short form and long form uh, for all types of uh, tastes and, and, and folks' uh, uh, willingness to consume content. And then it's uh, making sure that um, it is complementary as a second screen experience to what you're watching on the main screen, either through our streams of the, the matches themselves on our applications or on our linear channels from the comfort of your home or the local bar that you choose to watch the game in. Um, is the consumption or the want of the audience different for the Hispanic viewer as opposed to the English-speaking American viewer? For World Cup? Yeah, for World Cup. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's fair to say that there is a, there, you know, so soccer um, is the sport of choice for Hispanics. I think that is uh, very fair to say. Um, all the studies point that way. All of the ratings point that way. Um, my previous experience uh, with World Cups has shown as much. And I think for the general market, um, there is a growing uh, love of this sport. And I think that the efforts of NBC with the Premier League and the fact that we've become a more globalized um, society in regards to being aware of what happens in and around the world of sports, and not just what's happening here domestically, I think plays into the growth of soccer in the general market. But um, the Hispanic market is uh, more immersed right now in what traditionally soccer means and what this tournament means. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting proposition because we both have the opportunity to service an audience that knows uh, and, and understands what we're trying to do uh, very readily. And then there are segments of the population on the general market side that also have that expertise and that understanding, but where there is uh, more fertile ground, if you will, for us to attract new viewers and new consumers to this sport on the largest scale uh, that, that it has. Uh, I want to go back to, to what you said earlier about acquiring the rights seven years ago. And in seven yeah. years in, in this time frame is so different than any other time frame because of the technological advances um, for sure. content distribution. So I wonder if you had some ideas of, hey, here's some of these things we'd like to do seven years from now and go, oh, man, here are these other ways that have just kind of blown that out of the water. Yeah, so, um, you know, seven years ago to today, I think, you know, the way technology has advanced and the way that, um, you know, different avenues have been created for people to find their entertainment, whether through connected devices, um, behind paywalls on OTT platforms, um, you know, and not only that, when you go into thinking on, on gaming and virtual reality and then augmented reality, all of those things were nascent, I would say, seven years ago. And some of those uh, touch points were leveraged to some extent in 2014's coverage, but it's now when, from my perspective, it has become much more of an expectation than perhaps it was seven years ago. Seven years ago, it would have been like, oh, it'd be nice, nice to do this, nice to do that. 
But now it's like we have to do this. We, we have to provide these experiences because that's what our audience is asking us to do. And so I think that there's been a lot of growth in the technological advances that I've mentioned. I think, you know, some of the enhancements that we've created for this summer using our augmented reality technology is really different than what folks saw, you know, just four years ago. Um, I think the, the, the social component of experiencing this event, um, you know, seven years ago, I didn't necessarily have a plan for how we were going to be following this tournament with crews that were literally just dedicated to the social experience in the venues and outside the venues as a, as a separate content play for our coverage. And so I think all of those things have come fast and furious. And I think um, we expected as much, I think, because as I said, it was nascent seven years ago. But it's been really exciting to see how far those platforms have come and how it has become now an expectation, frankly, of the experience. Um, you mentioned augmented reality. I, I wonder if there's any specifics you can kind of share. I know you don't want to give away what you guys are doing on the air, but, but is there anything you can kind of share that, that are some of the initiatives in augmented reality that we may see on your broadcasts? Well, look, one of the things, and this goes, I think, also to your question earlier about some of the lessons learned from the Olympics is, you know, we're obviously executing this event on the largest country in the planet, right? Um, Russia, uh, 11 cities, 12 stadiums. Um, and so we want to try and integrate more augmented reality elements and enhancements over the landscape, if you will, of this country and from, lo from iconic locations in this country that serve to highlight and illustrate to folks at home not just what you're seeing, but what, 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 what is it that it means to that culture or to that country um, through augmented reality pieces that can enhance some of that. The other thing, too, is you know, using more um, uh, interaction within the studio at Red Square where, yeah, you can see the, the augmented reality components of the lineups, but you know, we're going to be playing a lot more with the actual players themselves um, and using, I think, what has become a bit more photorealistic elements of these players interacting with you know, the talent on our sets. So um, those are the kinds of things that I think um, you know, we're excited about. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be honest, we need to practice and make sure <laughs> that it all comes out the way we envision because for us, being the first World Cup and us being able to leverage these technologies in a more significant way for the first time requires a lot of preparation. How about virtual reality? Will there be any utilization of that in your coverage? So there will be um, an application, uh, our Telemundo Deportes uh, in Vivo app for all of our streaming, and then there will be a virtual reality experience. And the way I understand it, Bram, we will have um, – it's a service, by the way, that's being provided uh, through, through our association with FIFA and HBS. Um, and I think the folks from LiveLike are their providers. And, and basically, um, it's a living room experience where you're able to watch the game um, from, that, from that, 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 that room, if you will, and where when you, can, you get up from you know, watching the game behind you and around you, there is a virtual uh, apartment, if you will, for you to be able to interact a bit more with content, um, with statistical features and things of that nature. So and I, think you can, I, I believe you can even customize the experience to the extent that the application allows you to. So um, it's exciting. It's, it's new territory for us as well. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see how, how people react to it. Um, this is a non-technical question, but I am curious. You guys are in such a unique position here because you're appealing to Spanish-speaking Americans and you're appealing yep. to Hispanics who are not from this country but are, are living in this country. Um, what mm -hmm. is your just general viewpoint of no American side playing in the tournament? Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to give you two views. Um, one is the personal view. I'm, I'm very sad that they're not in this tournament. I'm a big supporter of U.S. soccer. I love um, some of the things historically that U.S. soccer has been able to accomplish on the world stage. And it was, uh, it was real sad for me as a fan, frankly, that they did not qualify for this event. Um, having said that, um, you know, U.S. soccer is still going to be a big part of our coverage in so much as that we want to make sure that we're helping to create awareness for the sport here in this country. So we've hired Tab Ramos um, to join us in our coverage, and he'll be one of our experts joining us from our Red Square studios. And we did that purposefully um, because we felt like having someone like Tab, who is a member of the, the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, um, someone who's emblematic of that history that I mentioned a moment ago, having him there with us um, to bring his perspective, his expertise, and his point of view only serves to enhance to the audience back in the United States that we do have players who have done things of significance in this sport. We do have players who have also uh, great opinions. Tab is a coach, as you may know. He's coached the youth divisions of U.S. soccer and continues to coach um, U.S. soccer and developing the sport here in our country. So in that sense, I think we're doing uh, our part as uh, we should to support U.S. soccer and our coverage to the extent that we can. And for those fans of U.S. soccer who will now become fans of the overall tournament itself. Um, and then the other point I would make is, look, it's not a bad hand. We were dealt as a provider in the sense that when you consider we're the rights holder in Spanish language, having a country in each group uh, that has a Spanish-speaking nation um, makes every single game of every single group important because, um, you know, it, it, there, there's something for us to tap into for every single uh, uh, proposition in, in each of the groups. And we'll also be following Brazil and Portugal, <clears throat> excuse me, as well, um, because of the star power. <clears throat> Sorry, fighting a cough because of their star power and also because Brazil, um, being a, a South American country, is also very close to um, our hearts as well. So um, it would have been great to have them in. They're not there. I look forward to having them in in Qatar 2022, and we will be covering that just as well. Um, I, I'm curious, do you have any kind of element that involves esports in the coverage of the World Cup with the growth um, of that industry? Well, we're the, um, we're the Spanish language rights holder of the FIFA Interactive World Cup, uh, which fi you know, finishes its cycle in August. So we're also big believers in developing that, um, that space. We know that um, gaming is a very important part of you know, the enjoyment of competitive sports these days. Um, we do have uh, certain games that are online, um, not in the vein of, uh, of an EA sports experience, but where you can interact on Facebook and, and play some, some soccer games associated with um, our brand. And we also have our brackets challenge, similar to what happens with the NCAA as a component of the experience on our Telemundo in Vivo app. So those are the, the kinds of things that we're, we're, we're tapping into. I think aside from that, we would use gaming within our coverage on our support programming, our primetime show at 7 p.m. every night during the World Cup, which has never been done before. It's called Viva el Mundial y Más. And that show is going to be highlighting gaming as a component of the celebration of soccer um, between, you know, every now and then on that program. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll address it uh, in interesting ways, but editorially. Um, I'll leave you with this. So you've watched the World Cup your whole life, and yep. you've seen it presented in many different ways. How would you yep. like Telemundo Deportes to do it differently? 
So look, um, the proposition for us is to create a full-fledged general market experience for World Cup to this space, the Spanish language space, the Hispanic space, but also where we would invite everyone, doesn't matter what language you speak, to come and enjoy what we're going to be delivering. I think ultimately we're looking at experiences that can connect and resonate with anyone who is a fan of this sport. And I'm a I'm really big believer in my career of over 26 years that soccer and, and watching soccer in Spanish is an experience unto itself. And so for me, if Telemundo uh, Deportes and Telemundo Network are able to deliver a coverage that's on par with the biggest tent poles that the entire domestic audience in the United States is used to seeing, and we are recognized uh, for doing that effort that began seven years ago as we started our conversation, that will define success for me. So I welcome everyone to check us out, uh, give us your thoughts, and um, you know, we, we love to hear any criticisms that people might want to share as they're watching, and hopefully it's all complimentary. And if it's not, we're going to pay close heed and close attention because we do this for you, the fans, and the audience. Eli Velasquez is the Executive Vice President, Programming, Production, and Content of Telemundo Deportes, who is preparing to broadcast the Spanish-language coverage of the FIFA World Cup for the first time ever in network history. Thank you for joining us, Eli. Thank you, Bram. It was a pleasure. As always, we are staying ahead of the game. This is the Sport Techie Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.